This is the Sport and Style Podcast, where the trade of sport collides with fashion and innovation. Your host, Mike Gugat, Neil Schwartz, and John Peters break down the news, analyze sales data, and interview industry influencers. The Sport and Style Podcast is on now. This is episode 10 of the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. Yes, you heard me correctly. It's the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. We decided to change it just because we think it better reflects what this podcast is evolving and, and uh, becoming. Is it okay with you, Neil? Sounds perfect to the poobah. My mother said it's a sign that we made it. Yes. I think your mom's right. We've retained your mom as a subscriber. Is she subscribing? You bet your ass she is. I make her listen to every episode. Tell your mom she's, she's a good woman. I can't wait to meet her. Oh, no. you've already met her. 40 under 40 weekend. You don't even remember. Fair enough. Two years ago, Mark. You're always, you're always really quick my, to my, uh, mom, my mom just texted me said she's not memorable. Thanks, Neil. I'm going to have to tell her. <laughs> she, oh, doesn't well. how to spell, she doesn't know how to spell breasts. But uh, hey, I mean, what a, <laughs> what, a, what, a, what, what a way to celebrate the anniversary of our 10th episode with a name change. So Sport Lifestyle Podcast. On today's show, we're actually going to talk about the uh, smart mirrors. Do we all stand to benefit from them? And then we're actually going to pepper the poobah about business in the outdoor world. And later, our guest is Larry Harrison, who is the head of brand development for the Outdoor Retailer Show, which is actually coming up the, the week of July 23rd. You guys ready to get going? Let's go. All right, John, tell us about smart mirrors. Yeah, guys. So uh, this AI, artificial intelligence enabled mirror um, partnered up with uh, Guess and Alibaba's technology. Uh, the first store that they're going to pilot this at, I believe, this, I think it opened on July 7th, is a concept store uh, on Hong Kong Polytechnic's university campus. And uh, the idea is you can stand in front of a smart mirror and that mirror will recognize uh, the color and the style and the different traits of whatever uh, item you're holding. And it'll actually suggest items that will complement that. And this isn't anything necessarily brand new because as we know, Amazon has uh, their Echo Look for the home, which can help style uh, and, and, and teach you about fashion apparently. Uh, this is interesting to me because I think, you know, the quotes in the article talk about, uh, each of the items carrying Bluetooth and RFID chips, as well as motion sensors, uh, that can tell whatever you, you click on the mirror and, and then a store associate brings it to you. And they have obviously, uh, the data around what you've ordered off Alibaba already. And so it's a, it's a beautiful pairing and, uh, we'll have to watch out for, you know, some articles and reviews after you know consumers can try it but i'm curious for both of you guys mike i just saw you this morning and maybe you do need artificial intelligence to tell you what you wear neil we, we we both know we both know you you need it of all of us so neil are, you, are, you, cause, boy, are, so. are you gonna are you gonna listen to a computer and artificial intelligence to, to, to tell you what's fashionable hey john before we move forward let me ask you you just talked about something called echo look from amazon I, i'm not familiar with that technology can you uh can you maybe explain it to me a little bit and maybe also lay out how it works? 
Sure. So, you know, basically it's a, uh, I believe it's 199 bucks from Amazon. Uh, it's, it's supposed to help you and focus on your style and they obviously integrate Alexa with it. And, you know, using just your voice, uh, you can easily take full length photos with, with the camera, uh, six to seven second videos of your, your daily look. And the, the whole idea is, uh, to look at yourself in, in, uh, different outfits from all different angles view photos of yourself, videos, get a second opinion from their quote unquote style check. You don't have an, you don't have a look in your, in your closet, Neil. Well, is it a service or is it a, is it a piece of equipment? It's a, it's a piece of hardware you, you okay. buy and connected, integrated with Alexa. Interesting. And I, somehow, I, I, and somehow John's let him go outside looking like an old miss frat boy with a braided belt and a, you know, a weathered white hat today. <laughs> As the rest of us were dressed appropriately for the coffee shop. We hey, I, I dressed up for the coffee shop. I put a I put a button up shirt on. That's rare for me. That, that that is true. That is true. Yes, I could stand to benefit from it. What do you guys? See? Go ahead, Neil. Well, I do think you know this artificial intelligence and the use of artificial intelligence. I think is is something that I think will prove very interesting. I think in terms of being able to help people, let's say, better understand. You know, I guess their sense, their sense of fashion, um, or what it is that you know they somehow aspire to. Um, you know, I'm just not, I'm just not curious. I'm, I'm just not, let's say, clued in as to how many people might be willing to pay $199, you know, for this specialized mirror or this specialized service, and then, um, you know, be able to tie into that. So John, I mean. It, you know, it's probably better or more suited towards the younger generations, whether it's, uh, you know, my boy Mike over there is the ex and you, of course, is the millennial. I mean, am I off base here? Is this something really that some, – is this something for everyone? Well, I'll, I'll chime in first. And, and I think, you know, when I first read this article, when I first found out about the look, uh, I think it was a couple months, several months ago, and, and then I read this AI-enabled uh, partnership with Guess and uh, Alibaba – it made me think of what retail is today. And even Mark Sullivan on our, our last episode was talking about the experience and knowing your size and your preference of your color and your birthday and all those things. And um, let's just compare it to today. You walk in and and pretty much the store associate says, oh, you should wear this shoe because of this and this shoe because of that and or this one because it's on discount. That That's about as far as it goes. And I think the commerce impact potential is massive here in terms of upselling and, you know, hearing from a quote unquote stylist that you need to buy this to match your dress or your necklace or whatever. I think that's to me that that's what's most interesting. The, the, the question is, how does this roll out in the United States? I think if you look at China as a whole and WeChat and Tencent and some of these other massive conglomerates, they're much further ahead in terms of, you know, paying with their phones and digital commerce. I, I'm curious on uh, how long before, Mike, maybe we toss this to you, how long before we see an Adidas branded store taking this artificial intelligence initiative on? So I know that they're already moving in that direction. And even several years ago, they were they were creating in-store experiences that you know were touchscreens that led to customization and things of that nature. And I think if you look at retail in the fashion realm, Rebecca Minkoff and her brother, the technologist, moved down this path a while back. And I think they're one of their stores in New York. You go in and and basically they're gathering information about your preferences and your favorite, you know, 
coffee, tea, whatever it may be. And they essentially then set you in a dressing room and the lighting changes to reflect the lighting of what it is you're wearing. So if it's a swimsuit, it's like sun lighting. If it's a cocktail dress, you know, it's like being at a, you know, a, a cocktail uh, bar. And so I think that this is an opportunity for retailers to, you know, rethink it. Some things that stood out to me is really the technology, the idea that, you know, is RFD tech, RFID technology and the tags of clothing is advancing that they can actually link, you know, inventory to these mirrors and be able to, um, uh, you know, pull analytics that, you know, one day uh, could be predictive. But I think what you're both getting at is, the adoption. And I think that when you look at a country like China, that that privacy means something very different there today than it does here. And one of the cons I read was, is that, you know, there's not a privacy shutter on the camera, you know, of, of the Amazon product at least. And there's no control, you know, over um, uh, the pictures, you know, that you end up submitting. Like once you take that full body selfie through the mirror, like it no longer belongs to you. So wait, and uh, you're saying all of Neil's selfies on Instagram are uh, out there for the world. I'm not, to see. On inst- I'm not on Instagram. Remember, my daughter banned me. He's done enough embarrassment on Facebook. So no, I'm kidding. He's great on Facebook. If you're not following him, follow Neil. But I think you were, we're getting at that is is you know, that, and I think that's a big generational split. That I, I would suspect, John, there are things you're comfortable sharing that I know Neil in a thousand years would not share. John, you know, the interesting thing also in some ways, I think if you look beyond, I think the, um, you know, the one-to-one or the proprietary nature of something like this, you know, I think this could also be a boon for the traditional brick and mortar side of the industry. You know, one of the things that you hear time and time again from consumers that they don't get good service, they don't get, you know, there's not a lot of knowledgeable people in the stores, you know, maybe there, this is also going to be a great opportunity for brick and mortar stores to put these, uh, you know, this utilize this AI and, you know, a consumer comes in, they take a picture and, you know, and, and, and tries to, you know, match you up with what you look like versus what you might aspire to look like or what you might uh, aspire. And I, and I know I think that could be pretty valuable for our brick and mortar friends. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it'll also be valuable for uh, any Instagram model that's out there today who, to Mike's point, can control their lighting. You got to be careful about that stuff. There's uh, there's some false <laughs> advertising going on in Instagram world, but we we should move on. Yes. I'm, I'm much taller and slimmer on Instagram, but let's, <laughs> is yeah, let's there definitely any way, move on. Is there on. any let's, way this let's... AI can make me uh, younger, better looking, uh, more hair, <laughs> better golfer? Yeah, I think that's one of those ice chambers you have to get into or electric <laughs> shock nothing therapy that can help things with some, sorry. Got it. With, with, okay. with, some, with some Botox. All right, let's move on because our <laughs> guest coming up is uh, Larry Harrison from the Outdoor Retailer Show. The three of us will be at the Outdoor Retailer Show. We're actually going to record uh, this podcast uh, in a handful of different locations at the Outdoor Retailer Show. But we thought it would be great uh, to actually do a state of the outdoor industry. And Neil, you have data at your fingertips and are great at taking what has been quantified and qualifying it in the story. So give our listeners a state of the industry. You bet. For those of you that are listening that have not been to the Outdoor Retailer Show, it is one of the most vibrant trade shows that um, I go to every year. Um, I don't know what the numbers look like um, in terms of attendance, but um, you know they moved the show from Salt Lake City to Denver, 
Um, that was the first show was in j- last January, and I thought it was it was great. They did a wonderful job. Uh, they've combined it with the ski show, and uh, to try to like enhance the consist- constituency a little bit. And uh, so it's a great show for those of you that are you know are not familiar with it. But as Mike said, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the outdoor world because I think really it's an interesting kind of set of numbers and it's an interesting scenario. And I also think that there's some interesting insight that sparks from this. Um, and I was talking a little bit about this with Mike um, prior to the start of uh, recording today. But <clears throat> excuse me, as we look at the numbers for the, like the year to date, you know, what we're seeing is on the um, outdoor footwear and outdoor apparel side, both of those categories of business are in the plus column. Um, you know, one is in the plus column in the mid uh, single digits, uh, um, apparel more into the mid single digits. But again, they are both on the plus side um, of the ledger. But when you get to the equipment side, um, you know, when looking at the things that are used, whether it's for, you know, some technical items like mountaineering and climbing and, and, and other things, or, you know, basic water sports, whether it's paddle boarding or uh, just other, you know, basic, you know, outdoor activities, you know, we are seeing a decline um, in terms of year over year numbers, you know, in that mid single digit range. And, and I don't want to necessarily single out any one specific category of business, but, you know, when I, when I look at numbers, I really try to tell a story with them. And the story that this kind of reached out to me was that it seems there are a lot of people out there that want to identify themselves as being outdoorsy, outsidesy, uh, you know, want to identify themselves in that way, but aren't necessarily um, walking the walk. So they're talking it, they're buying the clothes, they're buying the footwear, um, you know, they've achieved that kind of outdoorsy, outsidesy look. But when it comes to actual buying of equipment, whether it's a kayak, uh, paddles, you know, uh, uh, paddle sports, any of the uh, paddle boarding, you know, they're just not putting their money where kind of their mouth is. So, you know, John, I, I think from a, you know, from a millennial point of view, they, they one of the things that I hear frequently when we talk about the millennials, of course, is that millennials are more into the experience and not into the acquisition. You know, where do you think that these numbers bear out that sort of a um, mo? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do. Uh, I'd be curious to look at you know things like outdoor uh, hiking numbers in terms of you know different experiences. So you know whatever the equivalent is for Spartan Race or Tough Mudders. Um, for for the outdoor space and hiking and and even rock climbing, I know is up right now. Uh, but but Neil, one of the things you said kind of struck a chord with me in, in the sense of I think the parallel you just made or, or the point you just made parallels well with what's going on in the sports industry because uh, and even to the point of athleisure as a whole. I mean, how many people own a pair of run shoes and yoga pants who haven't done yoga or running ran in the past two weeks? My guess is that number is probably pretty high. So. I think 90% probably. Yeah, right. I mean, we have the inactivity numbers are pretty staggering. So I think that's true. I mean, I'm not as bearish maybe overall as, as some people. I think there are some great brand stories. You go to OR and you see the activations by companies like Yeti and Arcteryx and some of these others, some very, very cool activations and, and technology going on within those brands. But I think 
as a whole to your equipment point, I mean, stand up paddle boarding was off the charts in terms of participation for the past five years. And, uh, you know, where, where are the equipment buyers? Are they just one-time buyers? Maybe that's it. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. Or are they renters? And that's something that's part of the feedback that I've been getting from a number of the retailers and also a number of the people yeah. that manage facilities is that, Hey, um, you know, our rental revenue of rental equipment is way up. Uh, you know, people just aren't buying the equipment. They're renting it for the experience. And I've got my air quotes up there, guys. <laughs> but, you know, and they are and they're out there doing these things, but they're just not buying, you know, the equipment. They're not replacing old equipment and they're not buying new equipment. It'll be interesting to continue to follow it to see if that, in fact, is what is going on. I, I think it's a choice of consumption. We're not just seeing it in our industry. We're seeing it in, you know, you know, ride sharing. We're seeing it in, in so many different things. Rent the runway, you know, where I can have it. Yeah. Yeah. Man, littered just, everywhere. Just to right, reinforce this point also, when when I look at the the SSI data, um, you know, and I break it down by the individual retail channels, you know, what we're starting to see is that a lot of these outdoor styles on both the apparel side and the footwear side are really starting to go somewhat, and I, I loathe to use this word sometimes, but it's going down market. So in some ways, the apparel and footwear side of it has gone mainstream or is going mainstream, but the equipment side of it, it, it is really lagging behind. So, you know, are we creating a nation of outdoor posers? Um, you know, Hey, I want to look the part, but I'm not, you know, I'm not getting on a stand up paddleboard or, you know, I'm not climbing a mountain or I'm not going hiking or any of those things. I mean, I, you know, I think there is a danger or there is a, you know, there is a little bit of validity to that. I'm not touching it in my trucker hat from Patagonia and my puffy coat, <laughs> but I do think that, uh, that it, it, you know, you do see brands, you know, go through cycles. And right now there is this desire to be minimalist and there is this desire to be able to repurpose. And and I think there was a headline a little while back that it seems that the North Face is following suit of, of Patagonia and that, you know, you're able to upcycle, you know, products or uh, for that matter, you know, lifetime guarantees on certain products in which they know they can either fix or, or trade out, which then is is neutral when it comes to your, you know, your, your growing your revenue in that sense. I, I do want to ask Neil, you know, because the footwear and apparel numbers seem to be, um, uh, you know, still moving upwards, you know, of some of the notables, anything catch your eye, you know, in the Patagonia's, TNF, Columbia's well, of the world? Well, you know, from a brand share standpoint and, and a brand standpoint, I think that there is a lot of reinforcement or, or parallels in terms of those brands that are, in fact, you know, going a little bit more mainstream. And one that I'll point to real quickly is Columbia. Um, you know, Columbia is, you know, has been up over the last number of months, uh, trailing 52 weeks um, for sure. And you know, they have become a little bit more of a mainstream brand. You're able to buy Columbia, you know, whether it's pants, um, shorts, and and some of their other products, you know, you can buy them now at Kohl's and you can get them at JCPenney and you can get them, you know, at a number of the, um, I don't again, I don't want to use the word down market, but let's say mid-market retailers. So again, you know, those retailers, you know, tend to, you know, pretty much appeal more towards a mainstream consumer 
and uh, there does there definitely does seem to be some traction going on. But we're also getting those some traction, Mike and. And uh, John, at the real high end level, and John, you know, a number of weeks ago, you and we talked a lot about um, Canada Goose, yep, and we've talked about a number of other brands. Well, you know, we're also seeing some real good, um, you know, numbers, you know, out of a brand like Patagonia. Um, you know, Patagonia is clearly an outdoor brand. Um, you know, they appeal to a certain type of consumer, and, and we are seeing them you know, growing their business much in the same way though, guys, that we've seen Brooks grow their business um, in the uh, running or performance running side of things. So, you know, they stay true to their niche, even though that niche might be shrinking a bit, but they've stayed true to their niche. They've stayed true to who they are and they've been able to, you know, really try to you know, have really honed in on their consumer and, and the numbers kind of bear it out. Just, I, I just want to revisit just one other potential cause. And I'm just curious, what do you think about the impact the weather has on out, these outdoor sports? Because that's one thing we haven't really talked about. That these, these things are outside. So what do you think? Past couple of years, extreme weather, does that have anything to do with longer summers, anything like that? You know, I'd love to talk about the weather because, you know, it seems to be retailers and my favorite subject, you know, from time to time. But I'm, you know, because the outdoor footwear side does cut across so many different categories, everything from, you know, sandals to rain boots to heavy hiking boots, um, even what we call outdoor casual type of footwear. I don't think the outdoor footwear categories are as weather um, indicated or as weather dependent. Um, as they maybe have been in the past. Um, you know, the other thing, John, is, you know, people talk now about these, the urban um, kind of outdoors consumer. And I think that's what is driving a lot of this is that the, you know, the outdoor millennial consumer um, who is gravitating more to the inner city, um, but does want to keep their sense of, you know, who they are, what they're all about, what their aspirations are. So I think that's really where, you know, brands like Timberland, um, Columbia, uh, you know, are really able to, you know, really kind of establish their business. And then, you know, at the real higher end, you know, brands like Arcteryx and, and we talked about, you know, Canada Goose and the outerwear side. So I really do think that, you know, it's less weather dependent than it had been in the plant in the past. Well, I think that, you know, you mentioned also the, uh, or we haven't talked really about the obsolescence, you know, there are certain products in our industry that are worn out regularly. And I think there's a lot of stuff that even to the core consumer, you know, because they're being better made, don't wear out as quickly. And so you, you don't have that consumer maybe replenishing as, as often as they do say in the well, running I think industry. there is, you know, I think there is a lot of merit to what you just said, Mike, because, and I've talked about this, um, you know, in, in the areas that John and the SFIA, you know, really tend to, you know, whether it's team sports, um, individual sports, racket sports, there's a number of different activities, you know, even, you know, fitness equipment, the equipment's being made better. Uh, people are, are buying better equipment. Their, um, their replacement life cycles now are completely different than what we had thought in the past. And, you know, when, it, it, you know, with, if a product lifestyle life cycle changes by a year, by two years, that can have a dramatic effect on the revenue, you know, in any one particular category of business or any one, you know, general category. 
Well, let's uh, let's get to our guest, Larry Harrison from the Outdoor Retailer Show, and uh, we'll hear about what's fun and uh, what we can expect in Denver. Sound good? Sounds good, Mike. Look, let's do it. Welcome back. Our guest today is Larry Harrison, who's the director of brand at uh, the Outdoor Retailer uh, Show. Larry, welcome. Thank you very much. Good to be with you guys. Well, we're glad to have you. And, and for our listeners, if, if you haven't gotten a chance to, to meet Larry and, and you work in the athletic and outdoor industry, you must. Uh, he's been in this industry for four decades. And as we were joking earlier, it doesn't seem that he's aged a bit as he still spends time with his sons out at, out, out at Burning Man. But Larry, could you share some of those experiences with us that you've had in this industry, why it's so special to you and why it informs what it is you do now for the Outdoor Retailer Show? I think that, um, again, I've been in this since 73. And uh, one thing that I remember is we all operated in these geographic silos uh, all across the country. And, and, and so I immediately wanted to reach out. I wanted to find out what was going on in, you know, in, in Southern California, we had a climbing centric kind of group. And then we had the uh, backpacking group and uh, I was in Idlewild. So I was with the climbing group. And uh, so that's Southern California. And then there were similar silos all across the country, Berkeley, Colorado, the Southeast, the Northeast, and uh, of course, the Midwest. And I think what informs what I do the most today is that we were not connected as an industry. There really was no concept of community. And I did trade shows in uh, Southern California and Northern California. So effectively getting that Berkeley group uh, and the Southern California group into these trade shows, and they were really successful. Later on, then, Outdoor Retailer started their show, uh, 82, I believe. I know there's been 65 outdoor retailers after this next one, um, and I've been to every one. But there was no, again, sense of connectedness. And I happened to write for uh the trade press then, one called National Outdoor Outfitters News. That sounds not like a, a, a read that you uh, want to buy on the newsstand, and it certainly wasn't. But um, I wrote that we needed a trade show of national scale to unite us. Now, remember, we were slotted in to sporting goods at the NSGA shows, and we were plugged into the ski show with Doris Taplinger's uh, snow show, but we didn't have a place really to call our own. Finally, everyone rejected it, um, and outdoor retailer began, but people didn't want to come because it wasn't really national. It seemed regional. 
and um, so much growth has happened since then. Think uh, if any long-term person in the outdoor business, their relationships began on the floor of those shows. Well, let me jump. Let me let me jump in real quick, Larry, because I think you 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 hit the R word, which we talk about a lot, and how important relationships are, and specific to this industry, the way I understand it, you're sort of that liaison between you know the retailers, the 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 vendors, and the manufacturers, and uh, you know are, are trying to bring that community together. And now that you've had this big move to Denver. You know, what can attendees expect in the way of, of programming and, and things that will happen, um, you know, coming up here in, at, uh, you know, two weeks from now? Well, I think some background to the changes are in order. And uh, that is that the changes that happen at outdoor retailer don't really happen because of outdoor retailer, they happen because the marketplace asks for them and outdoor retailer responds. And so uh, it's pretty exciting uh, what's coming up uh, as regards change. When you uh, uh, look at the show, uh, we had been for 22 years in Salt Lake City. Uh, everyone knew it. Uh, and, and that felt like home to a lot of people. I enjoyed it, but, um, the community asked us to move. They didn't like, uh, the, uh, the public lands policies, uh, espoused by, uh, the governor and, uh, uh, legislators in Utah. And so we knew we had to leave. We were looking for uh, another home anyway, because we needed uh, more space. Uh, and it was probably time for a change up anyway. And so uh, uh, when we moved to Denver, uh, which we saw in January, it was really exciting for folks. Um, well, let me just say there, 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 there really were a lot of challenges, uh, uh, but anyone who attended that uh, the snow show this past January, uh, I'm sure found it really exciting. Hey, Larry. Hey, Larry. It's John. Um, like Neil, I, I attended the the show in January, and and kudos to you guys. It was it was really well done for the you know first year. Um, similar to you, I do go to a lot of shows. I've probably been to, you know, 50 less shows on OR than you have, but I've been to a few and I'm, I'm coming out there in two weeks. And, and I'm just curious on the, the new format. What do you see? You just said the market dictates to, to what OR does. Um, I noticed you guys are doing three shows this year. Um, is that correct? Yes, we are. And I, I think um, uh, we're, we're doing uh, uh, one in, of course, January. And uh, then we'll do the July one, and then we'll also have November. But uh, then not that much later in 2019, of course, will be the January show. Can you can you talk about kind of a little bit more about, you know, what the market dictates? And and as a guy who loves to go to Denver, uh, kudos again, I, I would much rather go to Denver than Salt Lake City. So I have no issue with that. But I, I'm just curious, is that too many shows? What's the future of shows too? A little two-part question there for you. Shows are determined by sales cycles. And, uh, you know, Mike, you ran sales uh, 
you know that uh, you want you want your people out on the street as soon as possible uh, after you finish your sales meeting so they can tell your brand story so they can show the new goods uh, and then uh, on a retailer's part, they want to see it as soon as possible so they can have the most time that they can have to uh, make an intelligent buy. So uh, it needs to be as far prior to the uh, deadlines as possible. So uh, let's look at uh, the show in November. You... Uh, come out of your uh, sales meeting, uh, probably in October, and uh, your samples are shipped to the uh, reps, and they need to get out there because uh, they have a sliced and diced schedule during uh, uh, October, I mean, during uh, November, and then December is all but lost other than a few weeks because the retailers except those with professional buying staff um, are just too overwhelmed. And so this allows reps to be out there uh, with a, a national show to expose their goods, to tell the brand story, and uh, then they can complete those sales at those uh, great regional shows that are all around the country. So that's really what that's about. Now, we had planned on having a June show. So you're out of your sales meetings in May. You uh, do your uh, June kickoff, and uh, then you have a bunch of time before that uh, August 1st or July 15th cutoff on uh, your sales before the shows had just simply been too late. They became marketing shows. The uh, expense of a national trade show is enough that it should be able to give a uh, little more ROI. It should be able to, uh, of course, bring the community together, but um, uh, deliver a real uh, kickoff that helps direct sales. Larry, this is Neil. How are you today? Good. First, I want to say I also, like John, I, I agree that the move to Denver, I think, has been a really positive one. In fact, uh, I actually wrote a, uh, an email to someone who I know at the uh, Denver Vis Convention and Visitors Bureau to tell them uh, how great a job I thought they did. I, I used to do some work with them. Um, in another research capacity, and I was really impressed with the way the city of Denver just embraced, you know, the show from top to bottom. So I will, I will say it was a great experience, and it's and it's a lot easier to get to. Um, but the thing, you know, Larry, I'm listening to you talk about, you know, the shows, their relationship to buying seasons and selling seasons, and you know, the one thing that I kind of it kind of sticks in my craw a little bit is that. It sounds a little bit kind of like the way business has always been done. And we're really in an environment where we're kind of reinventing the way business is done. So, you know, are more shows the answer? Is it sustainable? Is it less shows? I mean, where, you know, where do you think the, the kind of, you know, the new wave of doing thing kind of meets up with the, you know, the old standard ways of doing things? Let's talk about trying to do things in a new way. Uh, Mike and I were 
both at Adidas when uh, they told us they would uh, have no samples, um, that uh, everything would, <laughs> I guess, be virtual reality. And in truth, uh, what happened is that we still sold with samples. We had people uh, uh, touch. Uh, we had people see the colors in their final production and uh, so, yes, things are changing. Uh, the way things are sold has remained fairly stable. Uh, we still, in shoes, we put them on a table. Uh, people look at them. They create an assortment that's best for their customer. And uh, then they write that order. So, Larry, you know, today we're we're in the age of of uh, conferences like South by Southwest. That's a you know a technology conference that's now become everything from a film festival and a music festival. How does OR, um, uh, you know, attract the next generation of um, attendees to its shows in this this age we're in? Well, I think it it attracts attendees by doing a good job at what its focus is. You know, South by really began as a music festival and it was about music and became more. And it has a great focus, but uh, it doesn't care if you're a consumer or a, a retailer or a, a brand. It's, it's for people who want to make a statement uh, and ours, we're a very simple process. It's a business-to-business -business trade show, and everything we do is about that focus of the interaction between the brand and its retailers, and then further, how can it uh, best meet the needs of the consumer? So uh, we deal with business on a far different basis. And in doing so, we bind our community together. Uh, I, I would point out the super show. Uh, it was a gigantic big show and it celebrated sporting goods. And when uh, Adidas and Nike and LA Gear opted out of it because they thought that it was more convenient to deal with large retailers. We then lost um, mid-level sporting goods in America. We lost that small specialty sporting goods retailer where you could buy a mouthpiece for your son's football or uh, a swimsuit for your daughter. Uh, those don't exist as much anymore as they used to. So we're here to further the interest of the outdoor industry. Well, we don't really view it as a writing show. Uh, we view it as a show where, uh, let's say I'm the North Face, and I have uh, an important retailer, uh, Rock Creek, comes into uh, my store, I mean my uh, booth, and 
I have several options. Uh, because we are at the forefront of the selling season, I can either A, give them an overview. So as they go out and shop other brands, they have a clear understanding of what my focus is uh, this season. I can show them the entirety of the line. It may take six hours, but I can show them the entirety of the line. Um, or I can do some hybrid. But we've now given real intelligence to that retailer as they go out to uh, look at a broad array of, of brands and see what assortment best suits their consumer. That's what we do. Well, yes, and uh, not only understanding, but also being able to ask questions of senior management uh, at the show, where when you're uh, seeing a product in uh, your offices, you most often cannot. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, you know, we are often talking about the elephant in the room as it relates to retail being Amazon. And uh, you had mentioned you, you've had, you know, folks from Amazon come and, and talk to this crowd. And, and I guess I would love to just kind of hear, you know, from you is, is, is that still a really big issue amongst retailers? Are they, are they expecting, you know, certain vendors not to do business with Amazon? Well, I think they certainly would like it if people do. And it depends on, um, it, it, it depends on the retailer. Uh, some feel that they want to all be on Amazon. Others feel like only they should be on Amazon with a brand. And, you know, that's that view that I spoke of about how we might control, uh, how we might control a brand on Amazon. But as far as retailers, um, how can they do better? Well, I always say that, that uh, in the age of Amazon, you you keep a, a healthy retail store by first doing a good job and all that that entails. You know, buy the right product, know the competition, have a path through the store for the product, engage the consumer, and most importantly, create a really compelling experience for them. Um, I mean, let's face it. The reason that South by Southwest is important is because of that uh, experiential model that they have where we come and we're excited. How many stores do you go into and you are excited? And that's really what we need to do by assortment and experience, create something that the consumer finds really important. Now, another way is get out and compete with Amazon, you know, be on Amazon, um, uh, do it right, really understand how it works. Don't make a second rate or third rate effort at being on Amazon. Um, go out and really try to be the number one seller in the outdoor space. So um, I, I also think that a lot of stores forget about their own online presence and uh, their website, and did they create a buzz on social media? Um, you know, it's all about you have consumers that are yours 
but they are fickle and can go somewhere else. Hold those friends really close and always be communicating with them. I think another way of competing in this Amazon world is align with other uh, retailers. I don't care if it's grassroots, NDS, worldwide, SSL, SMC. It doesn't really matter. You need to have some combined power as a retailer. And as a brand, you need to work with those groups to help them be stronger. Um, and for those that are not, they just need to work closely uh, with their vendors. I always thought one of the biggest jobs of a retailer is vendor relations. And, you know, we can say that the vendor needs to be relating to us, but we really need to have this strong relationship back and forth. And then we have a real backbone for uh, uh, some success. You know, the culture has changed, but there's something special about the outdoor industry and those who have adopted it as a lifestyle and the specialty nature of it, even if you are in an REI or even some of the other stores. And I think that, you know, when, when you guys get together now in Denver for the first, this will be the first summer market, you know, in Denver. Um, and I've been around you at this, you know, where it's almost impossible for you to, to, to navigate the halls, you know, without running into people that you've, you've known. What are, where, where are some of the first places you go when you get there? Like which, which booth do you have to go check out? Oh, uh, you know, it's funny. Um, I, uh, uh, first of all, have to go to TNF. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. yes, they are the Goliath. Uh, they still continue to lead. But uh, some of the people that I found interesting was is uh, my old company, Adidas Outdoor, bringing the athlete, uh, uh, identifying that person in the outdoors as an athlete. I think that's fabulous. Um, you know, cool. What what wonderful designs or uh, mountain khakis, relaxed, wonderful uh, uh, products to wear. Um, I don't know if you've been following Sierra Designs much, but I was a Sierra Designs reps many years ago, and they're really a classic company founded in 1968, um, but uh, they are just coming alive. They're uh, injecting color. They're injecting exciting designs. They're really... Uh, uh, speaking to, I hate to say millennials, uh, I, I just kind of reject that whole attitude people have about millennials. Um, uh, you know, I just think that they're younger, they're trying to set their own path, and uh, they want something unique uh, that is inspired by them and presented to them, and Sierra Designs is doing that really well. Thank our guest, Larry Harrison from the Outdoor Retailer Show, our sound engineer, Tyrone Littman. This podcast would not be possible if not for our partnership with the Washington, D.C. office of cable TV, film, music, and entertainment, our mayor, Muriel Bowser, our friends at 202 Creates. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and be sure to rate us. Until next time, play hard or at least look good doing it.